Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada, and I'm your host. And we are currently in episode number two in a series on biblical leadership. And just to refresh you of why I wanted to do this this series, well, I suppose it was sparked um, by just observing uh, the state of the pastorate, you could say pastoral leaders in the churches over the last few years, um, and how they responded to, you know, issues with COVID, issues with social justice, um, and just cultural issues, LGBTQ issues, and, and just observing the pastorate and how pastors have led their congregations in these last few years. And what I've noticed is that many, many pastors of what I would call good, you know, biblical, Bible-preaching churches, many pastors have have had a level of failure in 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 their leadership in the last few years. And I don't mean just like, I don't mean like moral failure. I don't mean like uh, they themselves fell into some gross sin. I'm just saying they, they just didn't really lead well. They weren't very courageous in their leadership. They didn't really take really firm stands uh, in their leadership. And and really then, you know, spurred the question, well, well, why? And you could probably just think about this yourself, just anecdotally, like, I know in my community in Fargo, there's a few very large evangelical churches in our community, and I would say most of them are pretty decent churches, and and these churches have experienced a bit of an exodus in the last few years. People are leaving the churches, and they're and they're coming to these smaller churches that are that are a little bit more firm in what they believe and what they teach and how they have responded to. COVID mandates and how they have responded to social justice issues, and and so there's this kind of immigration type thing going on among these Christians and these communities. They're leaving certain churches and they're going to other ones, and so I kind of explained that a little bit in the first episode in this series, and I kind of said, well, it's a it's a little bit of a pessimistic view of 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 the state of leadership in our churches, and. I said, yeah, I would say, yeah, it is a little bit of a pessimistic view, but also it's an optimistic view too. So what I've noticed, and maybe you've probably noticed this as well, is some churches have had a failure in leadership and other churches have had really successful leaders. And people are tending to gravitate in these in these days right now because the, the burner's up, the temperature's up, I, you could say the persecution burner is, is, is rising in our country and in the West. And that has really revealed true leaders from leaders that aren't really cutting it in this day. And so, again, that kind of sparked this idea. You know, I would really like to do a podcast, a series on what is a biblical leader? Why is... You know, Joe, pastor over here, Pastor Joe, you know, that's not a real person I'm thinking of, just Pastor Joe. Why is Pastor Joe leading really well? What's he doing? What is it about him? What is it about what he's teaching and how he's leading this congregation that, man, people want to go to his church right now? And what is it about Pastor Bob over in this other church that's been a great church for many years, but why are people leaving his church? And why are they fed up with the way that he's leading? What makes a good leader? What is a leader supposed to do? Who is a leader? All these questions I kind of want to 
answer in this series. Uh, but the way that I decided to start this series, again, as I explained in the in the first episode, is I'm just going to start with some just just some interviews with men who have been faithful leaders in their life. These aren't particularly pastors. The third interview, the one after this episode, will be a pastor. Uh, but these first two men, one, hopefully you listen to that interview, Al, uh, he's he's been in ministry. He's done many different leadership things in his life in ministry, led mission trips, led Youth for Christ, uh, but has just been a leader in other areas of his life, too. And this interview that we're you're about to listen to is with a man named Alan Tullifson, again, another friend of Dan's. Um, an older gentleman in his 80s now, and he is he has led many things in his life, as you'll hear. Uh, he's he's been uh, an elder um, multiple times in local churches. He's led big companies and a, a big uh, construction company. Um, he's been a mayor of a city before, and so he just has all this experience of leading people. And really, what I just want to hear is is you know, I just want to hear their story and and how God shaped them and. And, you know, made him, made them the men that they became and the leaders that they became. So after that, after we get done with these interviews, then Dan and I are going to actually dig into the Bible a little bit more and actually talk about what the Bible has to say about leadership. And so, again, enjoy this interview with Alan Tulfson. elder so far so this is awesome another another decade we've had a number of different guys that we've interviewed and are, are kind of woven into our whole leadership discussion from even different decades so it's been fun so um, I've known Alan for a number of years um, he'll tell his own story but he spent a lot of years in uh, I would call it uh, both Christian leadership in the sense of elders and churches and very much engaged in missions and different things um, very, uh, God allowed him to have a great success in the uh, construction trade, he built buildings all over the Midwest, and so he was very successful there, and so he's played a lot of roles of various leadership in life. He's been a great friend in my life, leadership leader in my life. We actually meet almost every week. Another one of these guys that challenged me and speak truth to me, and so I was really looking forward to this discussion, and so Alan, just, um, we kind of prepped ahead of time a little bit, but just tell us a little bit about your life. I knew you grew, growing up in Iowa and what life was like, and then kind of, you know, lead us pretty quickly to where, you know, you found yourself in a position in life that you were having leadership, and I think those early days were probably construction and a number of other things, but a little bit about your story, and we'll keep it, keep it going. Okay. Uh, be happy to. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I am Alan, and I grew up in Iowa. And I was the youngest of five uh, sons, uh, and my uh, father died when I was eight years old, so I don't remember him very well. And my mother uh, raised us on Social Security. We were, we were, uh, I would, I don't know how poor, but we thought we were poor. Uh, compared to the other world, we're not poor, uh, the rest of the world anyway. But... Uh, uh, we grew up having to work, and uh, if we wanted something, we had to go get it ourselves because my mother certainly didn't have the 
where with means to uh, buy things and uh, <laughs> as they do today. So uh, we grew up with uh, uh, a certain mindset, which uh, was good. I, you know, as I look back now, it uh, really uh, formed me and uh, uh, made me uh, what I was, and that was we were always focused on, on the now, here and now, and uh, dealt with it, uh, faced it as it came down the pike for us. And uh, I grew up in Iowa till I was 16. I was uh, good in athletics and music, but uh, the Lord told my mother to uh, move me uh, and her down to Miltonville, Kansas and go to a Christian school because uh, she wasn't going to be able to control me. And uh, uh, I was just starting to uh, exert my will and, and uh, defy her in certain ways, which I look back was a shame because she was a, a, a neat Christian, a, a, a lifelong example to me of uh, how you trust and uh, live before the Lord. So we moved to Miltonville, and I went to this... Uh, church school and uh, I was in trouble uh, most of the time uh, and what I say trouble now is just play compared to what goes on in schools now but I, anyway I still got in trouble and uh, so I cleaned every f floor in the school the tar that seeped up through the uh, floor tile and uh, washed every vehicle and I don't know what else anyway uh, it still was good for me to go there and so then I left there and, and started working at a manufacturing plant when I was 17. And uh, Alan, what, 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 what years are we talking about? Oh, now? good. Decades. Yeah. Just so 19, I was born in 1940, graduated in 1958, went to work at a manufacturing plant in 1958 when I was 17. Okay, good. And by the time I was uh, 19, uh, actually, I'm a 19th birthday, I had 26. Uh, men under me and I was the foreman of the assembly line for grain bin dryers uh, that uh, they would pump uh, either 500 or 750 bushels of grain and then they could go out in the field and, and uh, dry it uh, portably didn't have to bring it into an elevator so um, I, I did that for couple of years and realized that it was a dead end, that it wasn't going to fulfill my goals in life. So I went to work for a, a carpenter and I learned the carpenter trade uh, from him and I worked right with him and he was uh, he was a genius when it come to uh, woodwork and uh, following the rules and the principles of uh, construction and uh, the uh, uh, quality that he demanded was uh, a real lesson for me and an important lesson I learned. Realized that that was a dead-end street too other than I learned the principles of construction. So I had a, a gentleman drive up to me one day and said, you know, I think you can sell. I said, really? He said, yeah, I think you can sell. And he says, I'll, I'll hire you and get you a truck and you can go sell for me. And so I thought, well, uh, what do I have to lose? So I, I went to work for this distributor of uh, Butler Buildings and Grain Bins. And uh, I started working for him in uh, August 
And in uh, first of October, they had a, a nationwide contest to see who would uh, could sell the most uh, panel frame buildings, which was a new building uh, design that Butler had come out with. And I ended up being uh, in second place in the nation for selling this building, which was crazy. But I, I ended up that way, and and so the. Uh, the owner was very kind to me, and uh, in fact, all the people all the way along the line were very, very kind to me and, and always helped me and helped me get on down the road. And he told me that when uh, he thought I was uh, had enough knowledge to go into business for myself, that I would be able to go with his blessings, and uh, that's exactly what happened. And so in uh, 1964, uh, I went into business for myself. I was 24 at the time. I didn't know anything, but the challenge was there, and uh, I've always liked the challenge, and so I went into business, and from there, uh, uh, my, uh, I guess, leadership, or whatever you want to call it, uh, was formulated and formed, along with the experiences I had uh, during my adolescent years. And so uh, I actually worked on a, a fine harness uh, uh, quality horse ranch, a turkey ranch. Uh, I, I did some work as a 12 and 11 year old. I worked for White Cross Insurance. Never ever saw who I was working for, but they would send me brochures and I'd walk around Cedar Falls in the small towns and put one in each door in the city uh, once a month, and I got paid a penny apiece, which uh, in 1951, uh, I could make up to 30 bucks a, a month, which was big money then. Well, for a 12-year-old, it was really big money. So anyway, I've always been fortunate enough to have a good job or opportunities to uh, better myself, which I uh, owe to the Lord and my mother's prayers. So you're 24, you're working these jobs, that's where you got, one of the things I hear you talking about, Alan, and that may come up more in our discussion is that we've noticed this with the different guys, different in leadership studies and our personal experiences with talking to guys, is that you, you find you have this providence, these things in your background that help shape all this sort of stuff. So what I hear you saying is that even as a young boy, you, I mean, you had to really, but you, you developed a work, work ethic. And yes. obviously from 17 to 19, if you end up by finding yourself in a supervisory position, you must be doing something right. You well, know, you, I, you yes. You must be working right. They must trust yes. you. And this goes to a principle. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead right now, but Al brought it up yesterday uh, when we did podcast with Al Megan. Um, he talked about, and I've heard you say the same thing. There's something before you lead that you have to be good at. Well, there's no question, and it? and you to be a good leader, you uh, have to be, in my opinion, a good follower and learn the uh, humility of taking orders and accepting them, and then carrying them out to the best of your ability. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the one place I remember distinctly is when I went out to this uh, horse farm, and it was a regular farm, but a horse farm. I stayed in a. Uh, a cabin like the uh, cowboys did in the old days and then I would go down to the big house and eat my meals and I'd go up and stay there and my goal when I went out there that summer was to be the best uh, help he'd ever had 
and and uh, from day one I started to do that. I just wanted to. I always wanted to be the best that I could be. My brothers really pounded that into me, physically and uh, mentally as well. Uh, that we don't take seconds, uh, seconds, and second isn't good enough. You want to strive for first. So I go, I go back to this gentleman, forty year, thirty years, yeah, thirty years later, and thank him. And he said to me, you know, uh, f after you left, everybody that came here was compared to you, and I never had anybody uh, uh, compare. They were always had, uh, didn't do the job like you did it, and that really made me feel good because that's exactly what I tried to do, and and have done ever since. But that was that. That's a contribute to my mother, to the the other people that I worked for when I was younger. Uh, they they demanded excellency, and I uh, I accepted that. And so to be a good, I, I think it's imperative that if you're a good leader, you have to be a good follower, and submit, and realize that no matter where you go, and what you do, there's going to be somebody you're going to answer to, even when you're the owner of a business, you answer to a whole bunch of people. So That's how good. are you going to deal with that? That's great. That's great. So, Annette, so stepping back on history just real quick. So take us, um, and then uh, then we're going to have some specific leadership questions, but take me back, I'd say, say mid-20s, and eventually, over that next decade, you found yourself really surrendering yourself to the Lord. I've heard a little bit about that story. Sure. And you found yourself in this contracting business. Sure. With some really tough years. But somewhere in there, so I'm trying to accelerate. Sure, know, the sure, sure, so sure. You found yourself contracting. I'd love you to share that a little bit. Sure. Surrender to the Lord during those days. And then through some really difficult times, all of a sudden, God really gave you and Madeline a real blessing in life and even a dream you've had to be sure. able to provide stuff all over the world for people. Um, but talk about that a little bit. Say 25 sure. to 40, that kind of, because I know your story, but for the listeners. Uh, let me think. I lost it. Sure. Uh, I'd have to back up a little bit. I got married on my 19th birthday, and uh, I changed uh, dramatically, uh, drastically when uh, between 19 and uh, 28, and I really became focused on what I was doing. Uh, we I, we had a son, and then we had two more sons that died. Uh, and we, I, I buried two sons by the time I was 23. And that really changed my life because I realized, because I always wanted to have money, and I realized money doesn't buy certain things and never will. And really, uh, I've never had a dollar bill kiss me back yet, so uh, I had to uh, change my priorities because the very thing that I wanted was I wanted several sons and I couldn't have them. So uh, during that time, uh, we bought. I was in with some uh, brothers and we bought a mobile home uh, court, uh, uh, and we I moved there. And then in a couple of years, I moved over to another city and became the mayor for six years. And uh, that was a real, I, I, I would never want to do it again, but that was a real learning experience in that the city didn't have any uh, 
uh, sewer system, didn't have uh, a gas system, uh, didn't have zoning, didn't have paved roads. And, and in, within six years, it went from 350 peop people to around 2,000 people. And we, uh, I wasn't very popular because I convinced the uh, councilman that we needed to uh, have zoning in the town because there was beat up cars all over parked, haven't been moved for years. Horses in one city lot where the flies were so bad you couldn't come out the door. And outdoor toilets, which uh, when we put the sewer system in, they weren't gonna hook up to. So um, anyway, we, we got through that and uh, we even had, uh, Madeline and I would go walking at night, we even had a, a disgruntled uh, uh, citizen in the town try to run over us. He was uh, drunk and, and uh, came at us uh, with a pickup 20 miles an hour and we ended up on Guy's front porch. And uh, so uh, they prosecuted him, and, and uh, which was another hairy experience, but uh, it was a learning experience. Uh, and so then I, I'm, I got my own franchise, went into business, and I never could get ahead. I, I did things right because people come up and want to know how I was doing that, how I was getting the volume of business with the manufacturing company we were representing. And they'd come up and see it, but I never made any money. And, <clears throat> excuse me, years later, after uh, things really turned around for me, my mother said, well, you know why you don't make any money, don't you? And I said, well, no, Mom, why didn't you tell me way back there? She said, because I was praying and your stepdad was praying that you wouldn't make any money until you started serving the Lord. And I said, thanks a lot, Mom. I, I spent 12 years just swimming around then because you were praying I wouldn't make any money. So anyway, we, we um, I changed, I became, uh, I got a, ended up with a divorce and, and that's terrible times. Nobody should go through a divorce and nobody should get a divorce, but I ended up with a divorce anyway. So um, the Lord, uh, really got to me during that period of time because um, I, uh, I couldn't see my kids only so often. And one day they went by the house and I could see them and there I was sitting by myself. And I said, man, oh man, I, if they would just come over, I'd take care of them. And I, uh, you know, I would, uh, we'd go do things and do that. And, and it's like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and says, you know what, you're just like that with me. If you would just come and let me lead you, things would be a whole lot better for you, and you, uh, we could do things together. So that really hit me, and so I ended up uh, marrying Madeline, and uh, she wouldn't uh, end up going to church because she said she wasn't going to go unless I did. So and I didn't want to be responsible for her true children and my two children and me sitting at home and she'd go to church. So I started going back to the church and uh, in the process accepted the Lord. And uh, so I knew it as soon as I accepted him, I was gonna pay for my uh, 14 years of uh, not following him and, and, and being the boss of my life and doing whatever I wanted to do and whenever I wanted to do it. 
So I really had to come down, and I lost all my friends. I uh, stopped going where I was going, stopped doing the activities I was doing. And uh, Madeline and I were just kind of left alone. And for two years, we just kept going down financially and financially until um, at one point, I had, uh, I think it was 27 or 29 lawsuits against me. And I could have taken bankruptcy, but that, again, was not one of my principles in life. And that was if I bought something, uh, that it's my responsibility to pay for it then because I had the product. So I told uh, my attorney that his job was to protect me till I could pay everybody back. And I told the CPA the same thing. And the banker went along with me, and in 18 months, I paid back uh, the uh, money I owed, and uh, and it was in six figures, a low six figures. So uh, then I was on my way, but the Lord still wasn't done uh, working me over because I had a lot of pride. Uh, uh, I, you know, I'd been, uh, I, I did what I wanted to, so I had to get rid of that and allow the Lord to lead me. So over the next eight years, uh, we wanted to get out of the kids out of the school system we're in, so we moved to a farm. And um, I was just thinking about it the other day. We bought the farm, and it was such a miracle because the, the we didn't know this until two years later, but the, the neighbors, the dear neighbors, walked around the barn seven times praying that whoever bought this place would work with the youth in Perry. And, and we didn't know they did that, and our kids and Madeline and I prayed that we had a second because somebody had the first option to buy this, that whoever looked at their house, this wasn't very nice of us, but we prayed that whoever looked at their house wouldn't make an offer on the place so that we could end up exercising uh, our option to buy the farm. So, and I don't know why they were keeping track, but 87 people looked at their house and not one single person made an offer on the house. So we're praying on one end, the neighbors are praying on the other end, we end up owning this house, I mean this farm. And, and we immediately, uh, as the kids went to school, we had uh, Youth for Christ every week in our home for uh, probably five years or six years. And during that time, uh, in the first 80s, in the lower uh, one, two, three, four, five, six uh, year in the 80s, was uh, construction was absolutely down to nothing. Uh, it, it was tough times. And uh, so we didn't have any work. We didn't have any money. Uh, the kids went to school. Uh, uh, didn't have money to buy lunch uh, for them. And so we drove around in junker cars for 15 years. We would buy secondhand cars for 450 or maybe $2,000 and drive them for till they fell apart and then go get another one. But during that time, <clears throat> I was really humbled down. And I stood in the back porch uh, looking out over this beautiful meadow. This farm was gorgeous. I mean, the Lord gave it to us. Uh, and I'm looking out, and I can't make the farm payments for nine years. I couldn't make the farm payments on time. And I looked out, and I was, uh, and it was beautiful one early morning. And I said, if I didn't have this house that we started building, and then the the economy just went bottomed out, I wouldn't have a problem. 
and, the, and just like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and says, uh, I gave you this place, and don't you curse it again. And I, I didn't realize that, you know, if I didn't have, God gave me something, and I say, if I didn't have this, well, who am I actually talking uh, toward and in? And he says, you know, who owned this 200 years ago? I said, I don't know. He said, who owned it uh, 100 years ago? I don't know. He said, who owned it uh, 50 years ago? Well, uh, the Leslie's did. He said, who owns it now? And I thought for a moment, I said, well, I guess maybe the bank does. I don't, because I can't pay for it. He said, you're right. He said, who's going to own it 50 years from now? I said, I don't know. He said, you're right again, so what's that make you? And I said, well, I guess it makes me a caretaker. He said, you're absolutely right. You're a caretaker of what I gave you. And if I give you something, and I don't want anybody to take it away from you, there will be nobody that will come in here and take it away from you, so stop worrying about whether you can make the payments or not. Have you not made them back? Yeah. Well, then stop worrying. And, you know, I think from that day, I really don't worry too much about too many things of the world. And I worry about my walk with the Lord. But I don't worry about those things because he really, really taught me over nine, ten years that he's in charge, he's the engine, and I'm the caboose. Just get on a ride, and I'll take care of you. So that's the way we have functioned, and we went through very uh, humbling times during those ten years. But then uh, I got hooked back up with TSC, and uh, from there uh, the Lord just... Uh, just opened the doors and I mean he just blessed me so much that uh, he blessed me as much as I was uh, uh, deprived of uh, being successful in uh, my business career so it, it went from ab absolute uh, uh, broke to uh, being able to fulfill my dream uh, and dreams and uh, which is really a blessing from the Lord yeah, and that's awesome. Is that good? Alan. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. That's wonderful, Alan. And and even that, you know, I want to I want to move to leadership, but even that, just so people know, because they don't know you, I do. But even when you say your dreams, you've always had these dreams of providing things all over the world for people. That's really been your desire. Yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not really so you can have more stuff. I mean, God's blessed you, and you can have a few toys. You have a few cool, fast car and some yeah. stuff. But but at the end of the day, it's really about because I know you again. I've heard so many stories. Um, in fact, we probably should go there. Well, one more story, and then let's move to leadership. Okay. Tell them your shoe story. You know, you can make it brief. But sure. Just, when just I a was a little boy with no shoes. <clears throat> uh, my father died. We lived on a gravel road. We were uh, 15 blocks from uh, the school, and uh, seven of them were mud roads. And in the spring, he died in December the 23rd. In the springs, I had in the spring I had to go to school. I had one pair of shoes. We all got one pair of shoes for the year. And you better not scuff them. You better tie them up, and you better not drag your feet, because that wore your shoes out, and you weren't getting another pair of shoes. So shape up. <laughs> that was our instruction. And you know what? That again was a learning process, a, a definite learning. I mean, it engraved in your mind. So I had to go to school, and I said, what am I going to do? i got to go to school, smutty roads. My mother said, take your shoes off, walk to school. 
go in the cloakroom, wash your shoes, put your shoe, wash your feet, put your shoes back on, go out and play at the recess if it's not a muddy, and it was a muddy playground, and, and then uh, take your shoes off and come home when school's out. So I did that. And on the way home, I realized uh, this was really humiliating. I had enough sense to know that nobody else was walking around barefooted going home. So I did that, and I vowed to myself when I was in uh, the late third grade that if I was ever able to purchase shoes and give them to people that never had a pair of shoes, that I would do it to the best of my ability. And when we started going overseas with... Um, uh, the college kids and now, we went you're over. talking you're you're in your 40s now or something yeah i'm in my 40s oh yeah. i'm in my early 50s right and and so uh, i had all forgot all about that and so we started going to uh, overseas with them and we went uh, i think um, 14 16 times to probably 11 different countries and we did a work project in the spring so i went all, what mal and i would go over to uh, the walmart and we'd say, uh, you've got your new shoes coming on. What are you going to do with your old shoes? And they said, well, uh, we don't know. I guess we'll send them to somebody, and they'll sell them secondhand. And I said, well, can we buy your shoes? And they said, well, sure. You, you're, I said, we're going to take them overseas. They're not going to be used in America, and we're taking them to a third-world country. So we'd buy two to 300 pairs of shoes for 2 to $4 a pair, and we'd load them up in the duffel bags, and we'd take them overseas, and we would give them to uh, uh, children that had never had a pair of shoes on in their life. And I'm sitting up on a mountain uh, across from the Statue of Christ in Rio de Janeiro, and I'm putting shoes on a 10-year-old. He didn't know how to put them on, and then he got them on, and the strings were all over, and he didn't know how to tie them. So I said, here, I'll show you how to tie them. So I taught him how to tie the shoes, and all of a sudden it just hit me. Man, this is what I was dreaming about and saying I would do when I was 9, 10 years old, and now I'm 50-some, and he just put his, I just sat there and wept. I couldn't believe it. The Lord had allowed me to fill one of my dreams, uh, what, 40 years later, 45 years later. So... Uh, i got to tell you one real quick story. My brother is uh, 19 and I'm 9, and uh, he's in, we're at a basketball game, and he makes a dollar and 15 cents an hour, and I have a friend, and I said, I'm going to go up and see if my brother will give me a dime for some popcorn because that's what it costs. And he says, he'll, my friend says, you'll never get a, he won't give you any money. I said, he might give me, I think he will. So I go up to him, and he gave me a quarter. And I said, well, I'll bring the change back, Glenn. And he says, uh, no, get some pop. You'll probably want some pop because you'll be thirsty. I never forgot that. Uh, he gave me, out of his need, a quarter, which was 15, 20 minutes of his labor at a manufacturing plant, so I could have some popcorn. And that has just impressed me uh, if he can do it for a quarter, why can't I do it when the Lord's blessed me with so much more? Yeah, and that's a huge thing in itself. Yeah, I picked that up from you, Alan. You, you, you're incredibly is again. God's blessed you. People saw you. They go, wow. And but you are so incredibly grateful. Gratefulness yeah. just seems to be from the time your mom and all that she did for you. 
um, to the way people blessed you. And again, so if we were to move now to some principles or lessons of leadership, okay? So what I'm doing, I'm basically saying what Alan's been able to share for our, our you know, 20, 30 minutes together is, again, I always talk pro about providence. God sure. is weaving things into you as a boy. Sure, no question. With a mom and a loss of a dad and shoes and no shoes and working hard. All of those things were being put in. God was wiring that stuff in. He's sovereign. He's in control to shape yes. you into the man you are today. And you've been able to fulfill these dreams of blessing people all over the world. It's just crazy. Yeah. The stuff you have people knew, all the stuff you, you forget most of it. I try to. No, I know. I was at a banquet where they were kind of celebrating Alan and his wife. He was embarrassed by it, but they were saying stuff. And he was like, he had to look at Madeline. We did that? We did that? Yeah. He, like, he literally does it and it's gone. It's like it's a gift and it's forgotten. And it's so fascinating. So, anyway, but let's go to leadership. That's sure. This, there's so many other wonderful things about your life that are fun to celebrate. But, um, so we asked you earlier. So, when you look around, Alan, you led, you know, again, you were an elder, I think, in at least two churches, maybe uh, three, three different churches. Three, three different churches. Church, you were yeah. an elder. You were a mayor in a small town. You led this uh, a construction crew that, you, you know, you were the owner, you know, the boss many years. You've led mission strips. So, if you were to say, here's the two or three key principles of leadership that you think are absolutely essential. You already said one, which is interesting. The other guys have brought that up too, is being a good follower. Yeah. But what, oh, absolutely. what, what are some other things you say? There's a leader that guy exemplifies what it means to be a godly leader. And there's some characteristics I've seen that, that are consistent amongst guys that I really appreciate. What would be two or three of those kinds of qualities that you see? I, I think probably the most important is, is, such a, uh, uh, well, it's, it's such a simple, but it's probably hard to do. And then it is you're supposed to uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and you're supposed to uh, serve other people and not be served. And, and uh, to help other people, and the Lord washed his disciples' feet. So that, so uh, we need to follow the, I needed to, and the Lord really impressed that on me, to follow the teachings and principles of the Bible, of the Sermon on the Mount, which there's all kinds of leadership qualities that can be obtained if you follow what Jesus says. And so I think the first thing is, is to follow the principles, the ordinances, the statutes, the commandments of the Bible, and uh, that will cause you to be humble and uh, walk peaceably among your fellow man. I think that's the most critical. But the next one is uh, you need to be humble. And when I was foreman at 19, I was pretty cocky to say the least and uh, pretty arrogant. And none of the men, I don't think one of them, liked me out of the 26 that were working for me, and I didn't like that. So I went and got uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I would take one, well, just one example. It says, don't tell people what to do, ask them. Would you do this, please? Or what do you think? Don't you think we ought to do it this way? And you get so much more done. And so I'd take one of his principles every week, and I put it up in my toolbox, and I would practice that for a week. And when, before I left, I had everybody 
we all getting along, and as a unit, we were knocking them dead as far as assembling. They, the people producing the materials for us to assemble couldn't keep up with us because of the principles. It wasn't me. It was the principles. And, and you know, I went to Dale Carnegie, and all if you have to do is just go to the Proverbs. You, you don't need Dale Carnegie. Just read the Proverbs. And since that day, I've read a proverb of the day every day for what 50 years same proverbs and all of a sudden one of them will stick out to me and i am man yeah i don't quite measure up there so i think you have to be a good follower to be a good leader you have to follow the principles of the bible to really be successful now there are that that do not follow but i think if you go back and look at them they're following them and don't realize it because the written, the unwritten laws and, and uh, uh, rules, and, and, and just one of them is that if you help enough people get what they want, you automatically get what you want, and that's just pretty true, through and through. And so, uh, and I think you have to have a standard of quality, a standard, a work ethic, uh, and you know, I never did. I never asked my men to do anything that I didn't do first. That, that was so critical. And and if you call, I still they still call me up, and I've been retired twelve years now. I retired when I was seventy, but they, they still call up, and 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 we still laugh and joke about the times we've had, uh, and that's because. I cared about them, and I didn't worry about me. And so if you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want. Another quality I think that leadership has to, that it's hard now. You have to do the right things now. You can't wait till the thing blows up and then do it. And I always tell my grandkids, easy now, hard later. Hard now easy later you don't beat that whatever it is axiom or whatever you want to call it because that's the way it is in life and and uh, either you prepare now when you're young so that you can reap the benefits when you're older and the bible tells you that and if we serve the lord we will be blessed maybe not monetarily but uh, how about children being successful and how about uh, uh you're helping people and 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 you're you know, you can be happy, but to have joy, you got to help other people, and you have to be grateful and remember where you came from. Great. So a little bit, this, these, this will be similar, Alan. So the next question that we, I move to then. So you look out there in the world, and you're seeing all sorts of leadership and failure of leadership. You've seen a lot in your lifetime. And so the first question may be similar to what you just shared with us, but if you look out there and say, there's some qualities that I see in leaders that I say, those, those are top qualities. Those, those, that guy will be successful as a leader. Those are the top characteristics. And it may be just what you shared, but when you look out there, so we're going to go two directions. I want to, I want to ask you, when you see leadership, say it's leadership in the church, leadership in a business, the guys I can think of right now, images that come to my mind, whether it's even a younger guy to the older guy, what are those qualities that you see you go, I think that guy's going to do well, 
or that's a good quality that he's exemplifying. And then we're going to look at the reverse and say, give us a couple you say they're pretty typical failures you've seen. Sure. So let's start with the okay. qualities. And it might be just very similar to what you just shared. But yeah. Go ahead. I'll go back just a little bit. Uh, the one lesson I learned is uh, you always try, and I think I, I'm thinking here, but I, I can't remember. I always tried to make the man or woman, depending on where the circumstances are, who I was answering to look better. It was my job to make that person look better because it's just it's so simple what happens when they move up the ladder if you want to be self uh thinking about yourself again for for no other reason if this person moves up the ladder and they know you are loyal to them and it doesn't make any difference if the in fact i had it the ceo would come out of nashville and tell me to do something and i said okay okay and I'd get on the phone and call the man that I was working for and answering to and say, listen, the, the CEO just, the company just came and told me to do this, but I'm not going to do anything until you tell me what to do because I'm working for you and I either make you look good or make you look bad. And my job is to make you look good and get the job done. And I... They always had my back because of that. They knew I never would turn somebody around. Even if the CEO come out and told me what to do, I always went back to the man I was working for. I, 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 and very few people do that. I think it's so critical uh, that we do that. And, and so when I looked at leadership, I think one of the biggest things that uh, leaders fail to do is to uh, handle the details. And, you know, i got to digress back a little bit. You know, God's the same way. He, to he tells us to, to get, render unto Caesar what's to Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And he's not coming to us and saying, don't give it to Caesar, give it to me. He's saying, you follow the rules, and if Caesar says that's what you do, unless it defies my principles, you do what Caesar tells you to do. As long as it doesn't conflict with the principles, again, and the ordinances and all that list of what the Bible says. And so I think it's important that we do that as, as to the best of our ability and stay loyal again to the ultimate, which is the Lord. I, I, I hope that makes sense, but uh, I, I always did that. Whoever I was working for that's who I answered to. So would you say then, um, again, kind of I'm, I'm saying you're looking out there, you've seen this guy, that guy, you've seen failure in leadership, you've seen success in leadership. Sure. When you look out there, I mean, you're talking principles, is, and you're saying right now, even in your mind, you're saying there's a guy that I saw successful. Okay. Is this the sort of thing he was exemplifying or were there a few other things that you would throw in there? That you'd yeah. say, no, that guy's a good leader, and here's why. You know, I'm, I'm chuckling because... I was up to a manufacturing plant, and, and the owner and I were good friends. In fact, I was in business with him to a degree. And he hired somebody, and I said to him, I don't think he's going to make it uh, as management. He says, well, how do you know? I says, 
I watch the way people walk. Hey, what's that got to do with anything? And I said, well, I just stand back, and, and I'm, not being, I'm just being observant. I don't want to criticize him because I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. And watch the way he walks. He's always, and when I would hire somebody, I walked fast anyway. I did, there was never a two paces with me. It was always bust ahead. And if they were dragging way behind me, I'd start to think, well, he's not really too concerned about me. I wonder what he's thinking about. He doesn't stay up with me. And so I said to this friend, I said, I don't think he's going to make it. Watch the way he walks. He just kind of shuffles and he kind of swaggers back and forth. And, and I said, now maybe he's got a health problem. But if he doesn't have a health problem, I don't think he'll make it. And so I, I went back uh, three or four months later and I said, oh, what's that little experiment we were doing? He said, he didn't make it. <laughs> and it was just, no, now that's not, the, that's not the total barometer, but I'm telling you, the way people walk will tell you what they're like uh, when it comes to work. And, and it's really interesting. And, I, and so I've, I've watched that for years because I've hired a lot of people and, and uh, worked with a lot of people. And it pretty well holds true. Hmm. This guy just sashays along and lollygogs along. When he's, when he's trying to hire to get a job, what's he going to do when he gets the job? Yeah. And so it's important. It's important that we stay, as a leader, we must stay focused and that's not fun to stay focused, but we have to. And we have to detail, we have to deal with the smaller details because they become big details. And, and, and then there's failure because we've failed to handle the simpler things. Yeah. And well, of course, that's a biblical principle. It's stewardship. Sure. Know? Sure. Sam was asking me yesterday, I, they're doing a conference really kind of fun for this Christian school up in uh, North Dakota. Uh, wh what's the title of it? Men to Boys or, or boys, to yeah, boys to Men? Boys to Men. So they're dealing with high school, junior high to high school boys, and talking about manhood with them. Sure. And he was asking me, what would you do for some breakout sessions? And I actually said that. Like, you know, uh, clean your room. Like the little things of life. Oh. Like, like God has given this, say, a boy that's becoming a young man. And I like to think of terms of young men, you know. Sure. But um, he's given him a realm, a sphere of influence. Sure. And it's his bedroom at this point, and maybe he's on a ball team, or he's in something, science club at school, or he's involved with something. And it's, it looks kind of small and simple, even though for a kid it may feel like it's a big deal. But what does he do there? Is he a steward there? Does yep. he lead there? Does he operate there rightly how does he honor his father and mother does he honor his sisters and his brothers does he uh, uh make his bed in the morning does he clean up his room after and that sounds so simple but that actually is a calling to manhood because if you look in the garden it was all about bringing order out of disorder and so to your point you even see that in 20 year old 30 year old guys it's like right like you can kind oh. of tell is that guy working on mastering his life yeah. And bringing order to his life, whether it's the way he walks, whether the way he eats, he sleeps, the way he takes care yes. of himself, things around him. You can see that. Yeah. Right. And you, what you're saying is that those are qualities, we would say, just even of mature men, but definitely a guy who's going to be lead 
has to exemplify that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, he, he has to be taught that. that. Yeah. And my, my, my brother used to say, get up here. What do you think you're doing back there? Hey, what can you do back there? Get up here and help us. And, and so I was trained. So you've interviewed J.D. You said yeah. you interviewed yeah. another day. So J.D. and I have just started to really uh, talk with each other. And so J.D. says, well, you don't know much about me. And I said, oh, yeah, I know quite a bit about you. And he said, uh, well, how do you know anything about me? You don't know me. You haven't talked to me. I said, I don't need to. I said, I've been in your home. I've been at church with you. I've been at uh, uh, just relaxing uh, places. And I watch how you relate to your kids. And I watch how you relate to your wife and your wife relates to you, how your kids relate to you and, and how they do it at your home and how they relate to you in uh, just casual acquaintance. And then at church, I, he says, boy, I better clean my act up. I said, it's too late. I already know. I, I know I, I can see a whole bunch of qualities from your kids, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you know I could always and Mel and I we I, I love to study. Uh, I, I'm very dyslexic, so I flunk school. So I had to do other things to entertain myself. So I would watch the behavior of people, and, and uh, I can tell you whether parents. Uh, like Madeline and I by the way their kids treat us. Now you think about that. Hmm. You think about that. It, it, it's true. Not every time, but the vast majority of the time yeah. it's very, very true. Yeah, that's good. Because through osmosis and, and your kids, you're either a leader, a follower, or maybe even a failure. Hmm. And your kids are going to uh, uh, live out what you are through osmosis. Yeah. And my, and, and you know, I go back to that again. My mother was, my, my mother didn't have any money. She sold her house. The Lord told her to sell her house, buy a mobile home, move to Miltonville. She got $15,000 for the house. She gave the Lord $5,000 up front for no special reason other than she thought she ought to give it to the Lord. Now she has $10,000 for the rest of her life. And she isn't worrying. And Ma, why aren't you? The Lord take care of it. Don't you worry about it. And so, so she gave a third of her equity in a home. Just gave her it, total equity, not just her home or total. Her life. She didn't have anything else. She, she gave it away. Gave it away. <laughs> I just I I laugh all the time because I I know how God he has used you to give so much, and you're like, where'd that come from? You can see where it came oh, from. Oh yeah, came and from you Mom. Know, she lived to be 98. She never wanted. She was the most content person I have ever seen, bar none. Just content. And I would go to her after I was could buy her anything she wanted, and I said, "Mom, what do you want?" Well, kid, I don't want anything. What do you mean you don't want anything? Everybody wants something. Well, I don't. What would I do with it? I, 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 I'm going home one of these days, and it's just going to be here sitting on a shelf somewhere. And I don't, oh, come on, Mom, I just want to buy you something. Well, you just come and see me, and we'll talk about the Lord, and that's all I want. And that's all she wanted. Wow. So I said to her, Mom, and this was in the 90s, uh, maybe it was 2000. I said, Mom, if somebody gave you a whole lot of money, I mean, just 
loads of money. How much would that be to you? I mean, what do you think is a whole lot of money? She said, oh, kid, $10,000 would be a lot of money. <laughs> that won't even buy a good car. <laughs> and that was her reference point. So yeah. I don't need anything. So what? So, am I going to learn from her, or am I going to ignore her her joy? It was. It wasn't. Uh, it was joy. It wasn't That's fun, good. and it wasn't happy. Yeah. It was joy because she had problems. She had problems just like the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, many problems. That's awesome. Well, I see that in you too, Alan. That's what's really fun. See a guy in your age, 32 surgeries, you have your health issues, and you just kind of, you here you are, you chuckle on still. It's, most of life is laughing and having fun. Well, you took us for a ride in your fast car the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, <laughs> so you guys. Oh, man. Sam, <laughs> Sam got out of his car and said, I would have to take Dramamine. That was like being on a roller coaster yeah. because it was so crazy. And all Alan was, oh, isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? <laughs> you know, that, I, the acceleration I, of that thing was just absolutely crazy. My grandkids think, my grandkids, and boys think I'm cool. I'll tell you that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, just, and it's, it's so interesting because, and I love my grandchildren. I want them to serve the Lord and be successful. But by being cool in a, and you don't have to go out and do stupid things to be cool to your grandkids. Yeah. They listen to you. And, and my goal now is to impact my grandkids for the Lord. Yeah, you're talking uh, great grandkids now, though. Yeah, well, I got great grandkids, yeah. uh, nine, ten, eleven. Uh, yeah, they're not mine. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not, not to turn on a sour note, because this has been so much fun. But seriously, as you look out there, though, you have also because I've talked to you. You know, we've been friends a long time. Um, you've seen failure in leadership. Oh yeah. What would be again, kind of the kind of across the board? You go. Here's the two or three things that just guys have failed in. And you maybe even you, you said, yep, I failed here, or I've seen failure in others. In a sense, the way we've been approaching this is sure. not we're in the air traffic control tower telling everybody else they're bad. We're saying even for our own lives, here, here are the failures of leadership that we need to even be aware of that because they're right lurking right sure. we're one step away, half a step away. I, I think the one that when you say that comes to mind probably the most vivid because I was caught in this on a downside of it but the CEO of a major uh, corporation on the 500 stock market was such a neat guy would call me up at 5 in the morning and thank me which is you, know, you think about this and this is another lesson where thank me for doing work for him He's paying me, and he thanks me for the good job I do for him. Well, now, what does that do to me? But he, but he knew every manager's name, their wife, and their kid's name, and when he would see him, he would ask how Betty Joe was, and, hey, how's Johnny doing? The next guy came along, functioned under the Japanese theory that the bottom 10% producing in the company got fired. Every year. Every year. They got fired. And uh, didn't make any difference whether they had the best district and was the outstanding uh, manager in that district and received the last year's award. They were gone. And in that process, in his thinking, 
he lost two or three of the not there be one tier the second tier management that quit they said we don't function that way that's not our principles we don't cut somebody off because they weren't successful this year when they couldn't even help it it, it doesn't rain the economy goes down and people don't spend money am i supposed to be able to control that i can't but you get fired so they so he left top he lost top management because of that and the company was never the same again and in the process the people that were loyal and i was loyal to the former ceo i was out the door everybody that was loyal to that guy basically was loyal, out loyal the door to the prior guy yes that's right the prior guy they're out yeah. the door and then i served on an elder board where uh, we were doing uh, accounting practices where we would write checks and hold them and then when we had the money we would send the check and I said and what happened was one check was overdrawn got an overdraft up with the church which is absolutely Anyway, I, want, I, I still get upset over that. And then they didn't pay one of the subcontractors for three months, who was a personal friend and went down and worked on the project out of uh, uh, loyalty to me because he was my sub when in building. And they didn't pay him for three months, and he called me up one day and said, uh, Alan, I'm not a bank, uh, and I haven't been paid for 90 days. And I said to him, you know, Jerry, are you in the office? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'll be up in an hour. It took me an hour to get up there. And I said, I'll be up there in one hour. You're going to get your money today. And he said, well, what about you? And I said, I'll take care of me. I just want you taken care of. It's important you're taken care of. So I go back, and we have this elder meeting. I'm the chairman of the elders. And I said, uh, I, first of all, we don't know where we are financially because he's got these checks out here floating around and are they in the accounting or are they in limbo and we don't know where they are and they and, and they said we don't know and i said well we need to do something about it total silence so i said uh you know and i went around and asked every elder pointed right at him and said do you do this at home do you write hot checks and hold them no and went clear around, and every one of them said no. And I said, well, then why are we doing it with the Lord's money? You don't do it at home, but you'll do it with the Lord's money. And is your money more important than the Lord's, or is his more important than your? Is his reputation more important than your reputation? They didn't say anything. Just drove me crazy. And the, my whole point of that whole thing is you deal with the little things. And, and when church boards don't deal with the little things the lord's very unhappy with that he's not gray he's not blue he's black and white period no gray areas so is it right or is it wrong do we go back to the bible is it right to hot checks is it right not to have accounting he said to be a good steward take care of your business out in the field and then come home and build your house but he says, you take care of stuff out in the field first and then come in and build your house. 
And that resulted, if I remember the story right, you, I mean, you, you walked away from I that. left. You left. You were, I said, you, I can't be part of this because the Lord's called me to a higher level because he's made, I'm an elder. And he's looking to me to set the example for them other people, and I'm really a rotten example when we do that kind of business. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I had another church where I wrote a contract, and I was broke at the time, but I, the company that sells me the, the uh, pre-engineered building said, we'll sell them to you, but you got to pay us right away. So I wrote this contract up with the church, and it, I think it was twenty-eight or $30,000, and this was way back. I mean, this 40 years, which was a lot of money. And so it came time to pay it, and in the contract it said, when the building drops, you'll pay me. So I got ready to, uh, we dropped the building. I went over and gave him an invoice. He said, what's this for? And I said, well, we all agreed you would pay me for the building. He says, well, I can't. I said, why can't you? He says, because the money is on interest, on certified deposit, and if I take it out, I'll lose the interest. I said, but you told me you would pay me. I got to go back to my creditor now and tell him I can't pay you. What am I going to do? And he said, well, you just have to go back and tell him. So I go back and tell him, and they say, and this is the key, why I'm even telling you this. The, the, this is working with a church, though. This, this was a church. Yeah, that's, yes. that's the point, right. That's the point. And, and so I said to the uh, credit manager, hey, they won't pay me. And, they, and she said, well, do you know what? You want to know the truth? She said, do you know the two worst entities to work with? for getting paid? I said, yeah, I'd like to know. It'd be interesting. She said, lawyers, attorneys, and churches. Mm. I said, now, is that pathetic? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. You, We will get my money, and you'll get it, because I know where to go over that guy's head to get the money if I have to. She says, well, you just hang in there. Everything's just kosher. We're okay. It's Nothing's going to change. I have faith in you. So they finally paid me. He didn't pay me till the CD came due. So I, it, it's hard for me to believe that if they didn't change their ways, that the Lord is so unpleased with that, that uh, they probably won't be a real successful church because it's the little things. See, you look in the in the scriptures when Jesus dealt with people it wasn't the he didn't worry about the big things he worried about who are you loyal to who do you love and and if we don't prove that by what we do uh, we will fail that's good that's good Alan Boy, you've given a lot of good good stuff today. Seriously, a lot of great wisdom. But that's small stuff. We we I have a lot of talks with Sam because uh, I see a lot of young guys in ministry, and um, and I failed at this too. I, again, not air traffic. We all have. Tower, we all have. But particularly in ministry, um, when it comes to time and money, um, it's it's kind of a thing I bring up a lot. And Sam's heard of me say it a million times. But like I I have been around men like you. My you know I've spent a lot of time in life mentoring and discipleship and evangelism with men in the say in the marketplace I don't know whatever you want to call it and I've, and I've heard these same stories that you just told about the church and about guys in ministry meaning like how we spend our time how we do things because you would have to come up with a plan let's say to do something a program or you know you're going to build a building 
And if it doesn't come through, you're not getting a paycheck next Friday. Oh, that's right. But so many times, and I say this for the, especially the young guys who are listening, you need to recognize so much of ministry gets away with that. And it's, I realize it's a different beast. We can't always control everything. The but, principles are principles. The, it, and, and so the point is, is I, I see young guys, they come up with plans and programs, and then it doesn't work, or they don't follow through with it. And it's like it's okay because they've got some kind of system of income, the church, yeah. support, yeah. where they're still going to get the paycheck whether they follow yeah. through or not. Yes, Yes. There's no, there's no, and I, I hate to use, yeah, it's sort of accountability. It's accountability, but it, and again, ministry is a different beast. I can't, I can't come up with numbers of people who receive Christ and that sort of thing. I, and I want to be careful about that. But I have also seen that this kind of system we have cr- can create something yes. where, where guys are not good stewards of their time, not good efforts, following through on good work, utilizing money accurately, just like you said. Isn't that interesting? The church would do that different, and you went around the room and pointed guys. Nobody would do that in their in their home. Nobody did it. And yet, somehow, when we get over into this ministry realm, and that's what I'm saying, we sure we, we play by a different set of rules. And I, I again, I know it's a different beast in some ways, but I just it, I'm I'm really cautious. I think guys need to learn how to work, learn how to work hard yep. in ministry, learn how to be good stewards. Learn how to realize, as I always say, two plus two is four in the corporate world, and two plus two is four exactly. in the ministry world. There's exactly. Not two different sets of rules. Let me tell you what just happened to me, and I confess this to my, the small group. My my wife and I go over to her sister, who is uh, uh, mentally capacitated now, was a very sharp lady, but she's not. And when you check in, you have to take a picture of you, and you have to get this little pencil with a rubber on the end of it and hit the computers. And so all of a sudden it hit me. I don't have any for my iPads, and I got my fingerprints all over my iPads. I think I'll just take one of these home with me. So I just stuck one in my pocket, didn't think of anything about it, went back again, and I thought, I have two iPads, I'll just take me another one. So I take another one, this all happened in the last 30 days. So when nobody ever escapes, I mean, there's a, we're always being tested. So I get home and I take the third one and it's laying over on my desk, and I'm doing my devotion. All of a sudden, I see this third one, and it just hit me. What are you doing with that? Did you pay for that? No, I just took it because they had a lot of them, and they're not not very expensive. And the Lord says, "You took three of them." I haven't given you enough money to buy it. Three, if you well, you could buy probably ten if you really dug deep. <laughs> but you took three of them. Get them back over there to those people. So Tuesday, what is today? No, last Friday, because this is Tuesday. Last Friday, I took three of them back, dropped them back in the thing, and came back home. And what's so funny? I got back home and I'm digging in my my pencil, I got all kinds of pencils, and there was one of these units that I'd taken from these other people, and, and, and I, then I started laughing. But my whole point is, the Lord chastised me over three little stupid pencils that I took, not thinking they weren't mine. Right. Good. So I took them back. And I, I'm, I didn't say it to Madeline, but I was going to kid her. And I thought, man, you know, sometimes I just better not cross the line. But I was going to tell my small group that I was tempted one more time. And I had to say, get behind me, Satan. And it was my wife because she said, they didn't cost very much money, Alan. 
So I was tested one more time on the way over there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you pay when you say yeah. certain things at home, so I... Well, that <laughs> but, but, but that's the point. It's the little things. And God wants us to do the little things, right? Yeah. Because people are watching the little things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's a stewardship principle yeah. throughout the scriptures. Faithful with little, faithful with a lot. Yep. It's like, no, God usually doesn't raise the bar and give you more until you've been faithful with a little bit. So right, right down to the teenage guy in his, in his room. That's right, my right, point. Right. That's actually about being a, a, a godly young man. Clean your room. Take care of stuff. And are you going to teach your children, because we're talking all ages, are you going to teach your children those principles? You don't teach them those principles. They aren't going to practice them. Mm. And you're going to teach them when they're young, not when they're 50. Yeah. Good. You got to teach them when they're young. And when I was 16, uh, I loved, I, I almost worshiped my brothers. Uh, and so he had a car, and I went in and stole uh, this stupid thing that you go on to your gear shift, and it was cool. And I brought it out, and he said, Where'd you get that? I said, I took it from in there. He said, You get back in there, and you put that thing back to those people and don't you ever steal anything again if you want something and, and you deserve it or it's worth you having I'll buy it for you but don't you ever steal again and it was a lifetime boy he he could have hit me and it would have been easier than the humiliation mm. when I met his disapproval and we should be that way with God mm. when God tells us what are you doing with those three pencils okay I'll take them back Good That's a principle. Yep. Good for you. 82 and you're still learning. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm still making mistakes. Yeah. Okay. That's the negative part of it. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Alan Tullifson. Tune back into the third episode where Dan and I interview his pastor, J.D. Summers. We'll get a, a little bit more of a look into the nature of pastoral leadership. But again, if you enjoy this podcast and if you feel like you would like to make a donation to my ministry, uh, you can click the link in the show notes and you can give through um, the ministry that Dan and I uh, serve with, Ambassadors for Christ International. But again, thanks for listening and tune back into the next episode in the series. Bye.